Coach Arthur Zunglebees, Jake Hefner, and Dale Wolkenstein here with you from the LA Football Network. Today's show, of course, is being brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, Aura, AG1, Mint Mobile, and Rock Solid Sports Memorabilia. If this is your first time tuning into the show, make sure to hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Dan Wolkenstein. I hope everybody is, at least in the California area, staying dry out there. A lot of rain coming down. And in this particular sense for our Monday episode, the rain is definitely coming down with our very special guest today in a good way because Dan Walkenstein, once again, working the phones, great things happen when that takes place. And without further ado, Dan Walkenstein, if you would, as you always do, please tell everyone who the special guest of today's show is. Yes, the man, the myth, the legend, the one that all Chargers fans go to for the latest scoops and the insider information on all things Los Angeles Chargers. The Athletics' Daniel Popper will be joining us here on Chargers Unleashed. We'll talk about Justin Herbert, the coaching staff, the management staff with Joe Hortiz. We'll talk about draft and free agency, all kinds of stuff with Daniel Popper. Uh, this is a great, great episode. Really excited for you guys to tune into this one. But Jake, before we get to that, got to pay the bills. Let's talk about our friends. I want to remind everybody that the easiest way to get into the action of the NFL is underdog fantasy and their pick em game. Just pick higher or lower on your favorite or least favorite player stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Just pick between two and five players to fill out your pick em entry. Get every single pick right and take home some cold, hard cash. Just make sure to use the promo code UNLEASHED and get your first deposit doubled up by over $500 by Underdog. Tell them Chargers Unleashed sent you. Without further ado, Daniel Popper joins us next on Chargers Unleashed. Well, happy Monday to Chargers fans. Hope everybody had a dry weekend. I know it's going to be a little wet for those of you out here in Southern California. But to kick things off, to heat things up here in SoCal, we have the one and only Daniel Popper from The Athletic joining us here on Chargers Unleashed. We'll talk all things Chargers. But before we get into that, Popper, how you doing, man? Doing great. Appreciate you guys having me on. Of course, of course. A nice way to start the Monday, a day ahead of the Joe Hortiz press conference. Talk a lot about the Chargers and the staff. We'll talk about Joe Hortiz and Jim Harbaugh. Obviously, the possibility of Jesse Minter, draft expectations, and propping up Justin Herbert. Jake, my friend, take it away. Daniel, I was really curious just because now, obviously, with all of the after effects of the Jim Harbaugh signing, this whole coaching culture change, if you will, happening with this Chargers organization. You've seen this organization shift a few times now between Anthony Lynn to Brandon Staley. And the front office always kind of said the exact same thing when they made those hires as far as we're going to change the culture of things. This person X is going to come in and change this dynamic. And we heard some similar statements of John Spanos when this coaching search began. And now that we have gotten to the point where Jim Harbaugh is the new head coach, Joe Hortiz is now the new GM, do you finally believe from your opinion, your point of view, what you've heard, that the Chargers have finally become comfortable in letting Jim Harbaugh and Joe Hortiz take control of the reins of this franchise? Yeah, certainly. I think like more than anything, what this hire indicates is like a real commitment to winning. And that's not saying that there that commitment wasn't there. Previously, like obviously, like they wanted to win and they knew how important winning was toward making an imprint on the market, growing the fan base, all the things that are important to ownership from, you know, a business perspective, frankly. Um, but this is different. 
because you're going out and you're getting like arguably the best coaching candidate in, in my opinion, the deepest, you know, group of, of coaching candidates in recent NFL history. Um, they paid for him. They made the commitment to him, you know, beyond just the contract that they gave him, you know, allowing him to, you know, build the infrastructure with the staff, um, you know, agreeing to, you know, commit the type of resources that are necessary from a facility standpoint, um, you know, food for players, all of this type of stuff that that maybe the, the layman fan doesn't think about that, but that's important towards building this idea of culture. Like all of those things are really important and indicate like an, an elevated commitment to winning. I think that ownership like certainly feels that this is a really important point for the organization, right? Like you're, you're entering your eighth season in Los Angeles. Um, you know, you've had, you know, two playoff appearances, one playoff win since coming to LA, but haven't really made the type of run that's going to turn heads in this town. And like, you need sustainable winning in order to, you know, really carve out your place in the market. Um, and like, that's what, what this shows. And, and I think like, um, you know, I don't think that they were like meddling or anything like that with Anthony Lynn or or Brandon Staley, but I think that going out and getting a coach of this caliber, paying for him and agreeing to give all the resources that are necessary, I think in many ways, like it does feel like a very refreshing vibe, you know, around the entire organization and a real determination, you know, to get to that point where you're winning sustainably and where you're like genuinely contending for Super Bowl titles. Now, we saw the Ravens contending for Super Bowl title that came up a game short to get to the Super Bowl, losing the Chiefs. But Joe Hortiz comes to the Ravens, two decades of experience there. A lot of people have talked about like his successes with drafting and personnel and kind of understanding what it takes to win in the NFL with a player perspective. But um, to you, like what stands out most about Joe Hortiz that could actually impact how things are done here in LA with the Chargers? And then I guess as a second one, like how do you see him working with the others on the management staff alongside, presumably, JoJo Wooden, Ed McGuire, and obviously Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, so I think the one thing that jumps out is just that familiarity with, with Jim Harbaugh. Like that, to me, is like the most important thing about this hire. Um, now, like as Jim Harbaugh said at his press conference, I don't think they have some like like long history and and these sort are of deep-seated relationship, but obviously Joe Ortiz has that with John Harbaugh, Jim's brother. And, and Jim pr- said pretty explicitly that there's no one in the world that I trust more than my brother. Um, and like that matters. So like if John Harbaugh is saying to his brother, hey, like I trust this guy, this guy knows what he's doing, you're going to work well with him. Like that really matters because if it doesn't work out, like there's only one person to blame for that because it worked out obviously with John Harbaugh in Baltimore. And I think having that kind of um, environment is really important to to making it work because you know as much as Jim Harbaugh wants to stand up there and say that things you know went swimmingly in San Francisco like there's a lot of evidence to to the contrary not saying that it's on him but like that's something that you have to consider when you're building this thing as an organization I think coming from the organization that he's come from and the way that they built teams you know tough teams good offensive lines physical at the line of scrimmage like all of the type of things that you want as far as building a football team. And frankly, something that was missing over the 11 seasons of, of Tom Telesco. Um, you know, he made efforts to build through the line of scrimmage, but was unsuccessful for the most part, you know, in doing so. And that was a big reason why they haven't been able, you know, to build 
sustainable success. And so like, I think those two things are really important to me, right? Like you have that familiarity there. So you feel like the partnership is going to work from a personality standpoint. And then you're talking about a guy that was with an organization for 26 years, you know, like go look at the people that have worked under Ozzie Newsome like that. Those are the people that are in the conversation for GM jobs every year, the way they build their teams, their approach to team building, their success in the draft. Um, you know, those things are obviously what you want um, in a GM candidate. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting to see, like, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Like I pressed Dean Spanos and John Spanos a little bit last week on like what the power dynamic is and who has control. I thought it was noteworthy that they wouldn't really commit. Um, I think we all on the outside can sort of deduce what the power dynamic is with the way that the hires went down as it should be, right? You're going out and getting Jim Harbaugh, let him run the show and let him do do what he needs to do to build the team that he wants to build. But they kept saying it's going to be collaborative. And like to a degree, like I think on the outside, we probably, you know, put a little bit too much on like who has final say, because like if you're getting into constant arguments over players and that's, you know, that's not going to work out in the long run. Um, and so like the way that they framed it is that both guys are reporting directly to John Spanos. That's different than it was previously. So like that in itself is a change in structure because it was Tom Telesco reporting to John and then everyone beneath him. So to have that kind of different dynamic where both, you know, head coach and GM are reporting directly to ownership, I think that will, you know, go a long way towards cultivating that kind of collaboration that they're trying to instill um, in the organization. So like those three things are, are my biggest takeaways as far as like how they set up this pairing. Now, I, I will say that I'm curious, well, first off, do you think JoJo wouldn't stays? So yeah, let me get to that. So basically, like when these hires go down, you know, you're the GM isn't going to come in and at this stage, like in February, like three weeks ahead of the combine, like tear down the entire scouting staff and the front office. So typically, what happens is you hire a GM, you keep that front office and scouting department and personnel department mostly mostly intact, so that you can use those resources that you still have your scouts on the road that you're not doing all this turnover you know, ahead of like all of this stuff that's happening draft wise. And then typically what would happen is you do the draft. And then in that, those couple months before training camp and sort of into the season, you sort of like gradually sort of turn things over, you know, bring in your, your own scouts, that type of thing. So I don't think um, it's a sure thing that Jojo Wooden is necessarily going to stick around. He will be here. He was down at the senior bowl. Like, and I think that the staff as it's currently constructed, will sort of get the team, through the draft. And then I think you could see after the draft, um, you know, some changes, but Ed McGuire will remain in his role. Like he reports directly to ownership and um, like, he's obviously the chargers cap guy, contract negotiator. Um, you know, he, with, with Tom, he used to do, you know, most of the communication with agents. So he's going to stay in that role. And obviously like, I think you guys are well aware, like he does a very good job with the cap. Like there's, um, you know, there's a reason the Chargers are year over year, like among the, the lowest teams in the league in terms of dead money. Like a lot of that is because Ed does a great job in terms of structuring contracts and manipulating the cap and those types of things. So he will remain in his role. He's kind of separate from the, the head coach GM pairing. So I believe he will stay um, as, you know, VP of player administration and, and player finance. Um, but the rest of the staff, it'll probably be some turnover, you know, once they get through the draft. Gotcha. Now, I think Chargers fans are all in a frenzy. I feel like we're at six flags with this roller coaster emotions Chargers fans are on right now with this Greg Roman speculation of if he's going to be an offensive coordinator, a member of the staff, a senior member of the staff, a, an assistant, who knows? What's the latest that you're hearing with 
Greg Roman specifically. Like, what should Chargers fans be bracing or expect if he is or is not the offensive coordinator? Yeah, like, I see it all. I, I You know, frenzy, I think, is an understatement. Like, <laughs> every, well, here's the advice that I would give Chargers fans. Take a deep breath, okay? You have Jim Harbaugh as your head coach, okay? National champion, Jim Harbaugh, 44-19-1 as an NFL head coach, all right? Clear vision for how he wants to play offensively, defensively, special teams. Clear, proven evidence of building a team both at the college and pro level, okay? So, like, for now, like, give this guy that you're paying reportedly $16 million a year the benefit of the doubt that he's going to build a staff and that he's going to get the most out of Justin Herbert. Like I know that the natural reaction from you guys is to like immediately assume that everything is the worst case scenario. And that, you know, Greg Roman is going to be offensive coordinator and Justin Herbert's going to have an a dot of three yards. Like, but like, let's get to, let's cross that bridge <laughs> when they get there. All right. Have a little bit of faith that this guy understands what he has in Justin Herbert, that he also understands, right. That like, the, the, the process of the previous regime of saying, okay, he's brilliant intellectually. He has every tool in the box. Let's put as much on his shoulders as humanly possible because we feel like he can handle it. Maybe that's not the best way to get the most out of Justin Herbert. Maybe building a running game will be valuable. Maybe taking some off of his shoulders will allow him to flourish. So I'm not going to get ahead of anything right now. Like all signs point to Greg Roman being on the staff in some capacity. We'll see how it shakes out. But like, I've never covered a coach that has this type of pedigree, these types of skins on the wall. Like I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt as far as building the staff, building the systems um, until I see otherwise. And, and that's sort of where I'm at with it. So I would just tell everyone to like, like take a deep breath. It's going to, it's going to be okay. Like the hard part's done. You know, like I know you guys are constantly. An extension wanting- of, an extension of that. <laughs> yeah. Just calm down, everybody. Yes. Absolutely true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kind of an extension of that, though, with, with Greg Roman. Just when you talk about the other coaching hires that we know and this offensive staff starting to take form, and we know, obviously, the expectations on the defensive side of the ball. The one coach that we've heard, just as far as the old regime goes, that we know for sure that the expectation of being retained is Ryan Fitkin. And Dan and I had had this conversation just a couple of weeks back that, again, maybe this goes into another aspect of control control and power that the organization is giving Jim Harbaugh to build out his staff of guys. Do you see this as just a, a complete overhaul to the bare bones as far as a, a absolute rebuild with the rest of the staff? Because obviously, Giff Smith now departing, he was one of the longest tenured coaches of this team. Uh, Kellen Moore, obviously going to the Philadelphia Eagles. But do you see this as like a con- complete and total rebuild from the top to the bottom as it relates to the coaching staff? Yeah, for the most part, like the the way it's trending is that the only holdover is going to be Ryan Ficken. Now that still has to be like finalized. um, But, you know, obviously, like, you know, they blocked um, his interview with the Giants. I think we've all seen what Ryan Ficken has done with this special teams group. He's obviously like an elite coach. um, And, um, you know, I think like keeping him around is obviously like the best and most logical choice. So they're working through that. I think like elsewhere though, like, yeah, I think you're going to see like a lot of, of new faces, a lot of, um, you know, coaches that Jim Harbaugh is bringing in. Like, I think when you hire a guy like that, you want to give him, you know, control. You want to give him the resources to go out and build the staff that he thinks is going to be best 
for the organization. And I think like you sort of pick your spots, right? Like I'm sure that they had, um, you know, good relationships with coaches. Like I know they thought very highly of Kellen Moore, but like, you know, you pick your spots, like who, like if we're going to go in there and say, Hey, this is the guy we want to keep. We want to do that one time. We want to make sure that the guy that we're, that we're ad- advocating for, we feel really strongly about, you don't want to go right. in there and try and say, well, let's keep this guy and this guy and this guy. Like if you feel like, okay, out of all these guys, that we feel like we're good coaches in the previous staff. Who's the one guy that we're going to go in there and really fight for and really advocate for? I think for for ownership, that's Ryan Ficken. Um, and I think that's what's happened here. Um, and so, like, but uh, like you do that, but everywhere else, I think you give, you know, Jim Harbaugh control and give him the resources and tell him go go build this thing the way that you want to build it. Now, the the part that I find kind of fascinating here is like with the new staff and you're hearing some of these names come out, you're hearing like Mike Devlin and Andy Bischoff and Marcus Brady all for the offensive side possibly coming in. Uh, we know Ryan Fink, we we're just talking about Jesse Minter, I think is a huge piece that I think is underrated with how much of an impact he brings to this team. But looking ahead to like free agency in a draft, and they put out a piece about like free agency, at least currently Chargers aren't really going to be keeping any of them. But like in terms of, free agency and the draft moving forward. How do you see like the staff and whether that's the assistants, whether that's Harbaugh, whether that's Minter or whether that's Joe Hortiz, how do you see those kind of new faces affecting the draft and free agency? Yeah, I think a lot of it sort of starts with what they do with the roster, um, what they do with this, this cap situation. I think you sort of have to start there because those are the first decisions that they're going to be making here. Um, you know, if not this month, then early next month. Um, so you sort of have to decide, like, what's the timeline? What timeline do you want to be on? Are you going to do everything that you can to be competitive next season? Or are you going to look at the roster a little more realistically and say, hey, like, let's let's tear this thing down to the studs and then, and then you know, let's rebuild. So as far as for agency, a lot of it's going to depend on how much cap space they have. Like, if they do, you know, they keep Keenan and they keep Joey and they also keep Khalil and they cut Mike, Mike Williams, Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa. Then, like, you're looking at not much. limited cap space, right? Like, you're 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 really, you know, managing and navigating this thing, and and you're going to go into free agency with with you know very limited, um, you know, room to really operate in free agency. Now, if you go the other direction, what I've called like the rip the bandaid off timeline, right? Like, let's say you you know extend Keenan and trade Joey and Khalil and cut Mike. Now you're looking at a little bit more cap space and now you can really go be very active in free agency. Um, but like either way, and, and I wrote this in my story for today, like there's a lot of needs. Like I was going into it, you know, writing that roster needs section being like, all right, let me rank like the, the usually I rank like the top three most important roster needs. Like I started going through it and I was like, honestly, like there's <laughs> literally one position that you have nailed down and that's starting quarterback, you know, obviously left tackle as well. But like if you sort of group tackle together, like you could, certainly draft a tackle at five and and you know look for an upgrade on Trey Pipkins who had a down year um in, in 2023. So like in that sense, like you know, when you you know regardless of what they do at the cap situation, that's going to affect free agency. But in terms of the draft, they can really go in any direction that they want. Like you could you could see an entirely new running back room. You could see an entirely new tight end room. You could see an upgrade at tackle. You could see an upgrade at guard. You need a starting center. Um, if you move on from Bosa and Mac, you're going to need an edge rusher. Both your linebackers are probably going to be off the roster. You have one corner that you feel good about. You need a safety to start next to Derwin James. Like I can go on the list. You need speed at receiver. Like I can go on and on. I think that's uh, so. Like, but in a sense, right? Like if you're bringing in a new regime, kind of a good thing. You got a new head coach, and you got a new GM, 
there's a really an ability for them to mold this thing the way that they want it to find players that fit into the schemes that they're going to be running. Um, now, you know, with the draft, that leaves a lot of possibilities as far as where as you go. I think that's a good thing, you know, when you have a new regime. Now, the free agency aspect of it is going to depend on sort of how they view this thing with the with the cap situation. Are they going to try and retain a majority of the four? Are they going to retain two of the four? Are they just going to retain Keenan? That's the biggest. When you're talking about roster construction with this team right now, that's the biggest question because they do have options. They do have a you know, as I wrote a couple of weeks ago, they have a lot of options as far as how they want to go about this thing. Especially now that hey, like this is like a reimagined you know, like way that the organization is operating in the past, they've refused to do void years on contracts. Like you can go look at every contract they've totally. signed. I started covering the team. They've never used it. Um, I think, do you know why, do you know why they haven't used it before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think initially it was something that, um, you know, obviously like when you put void years on the contract, you're running into dead money. And I think like early on in the Tom Telesco tenure, like avoiding dead money was, you know, a, a, a big principle. Um, I think towards this, the later half of the Tom Telesco era, I think like, you know, you look over at how the Eagles use void years. You look at how the Saints use void years. You're like, hey, this actually might be like a decent mechanism for us to use to maybe try and, you know, you know, expand the windows for certain iterations of the roster. Um, and, you know, that that wasn't a, uh, a route that they decided to take, um, largely because of the dead money, you know, implications. But, you know. With this new regime, with this change in vibe, like anything's on the table now. So like you could add void years to these contracts and push a bunch of money down the road. Now, like what that would do is create less flexibility for 2025. So if you do rip the Band-Aid off, then, um, you know, you're looking at a, an ability to really reset this thing for 2025. And to me, that's like the most logical way to go about it. Um, but at the same time, like Khalil Mack was unbelievable. Last so year. good. I, I literally, I think I wrote this, like literally the best non-Justin Herbert season I've ever seen from a Charger. Like he was, he was dominant. And so it's like, could, could you convince me to like, you know, ex even extend him or add void years to keep him on the roster for 2024? Like, I don't think that's a bad decision. Right. It all depends on what the timeline is. Um, and so, but overarching point is that I think every mechanism is on the table now. And I think the way that they're operating, um, a lot of those like ways that we, we kind of like would interpret how the team is going to operate. I think you can throw a lot of those things out the window because of the new regime. Okay, quick follow-up. Popper Domus here. I'm putting on a spot here for a second. Last last thing Domus. we have on draft stuff. Um, you can coin that phrase for your hops with pops later. Um, Chargers fans are all talking about draft stuff, and we don't know the future of the edge rushers or the receivers. But all things being considered, what we know now, what do you see the Chargers' first two picks Position-wise, being if they yeah. stay, it's a good question. It's hard. It's hard to see a scenario where an offensive lineman is not drafted in the first two rounds. Like that's that, that would be like my big my big prediction. Um, I feel pretty confident about that. Like they have some pieces, right? You know, Rashawn Slater, obviously stud at left tackle. Um, I've seen some good things from Zion Johnson. He obviously has the physical tools to be a really good player. He hasn't lived up to his draft slot yet. Um, but I think he's going to be fine. Like, I don't know if he's ever going to be like an elite starter, but I feel like he could be a solid starter at left guard. Um, I think they're going to feel good about him. Um, outside of that, it's like, you know, I've seen good football from Trey Pipkins, but last year was a step back for sure. I, I don't know if Jamari is really going to work out at guard. Like I thought, 
that that move would be more seamless than it was. And then obviously you have a huge hole at center. Like you need a starting center. Um, and so like considering where that position group is at, considering the philosophy of Jim Harbaugh and both like what we know about him as a team builder and what he said explicitly in his press conference, <laughs> I feel like those first two picks, there has to be an offensive lineman taken, whether that's a tackle in the first round, you know, whether that's looking for your starting center in the second round, something like that. Um, that would be my, that would be my guess, you know, that they're, they're going to really invest in the, uh, in the front. So then what would the, what would the other pick be? I'm not laying out the, cause that's the one I think a lot of Chargers fans are like, what are we doing? Yeah. I, I mean, I, anything, <laughs> right? Like you tight end, you can go running back, you could go edge rusher, you could go uh wide receiver. Like I think you could do anything, but again, like, right. I think, you know, if you move on from Mike and Keenan, that changes what totally what like what the need is at receiver, you know, because then you're pretty much barren there. Um I think Josh Palmer's a good player. Um I don't know what Quentin Johnson's gonna be. Um so right, but like if you keep Keenan, then it's like, all right, you know, maybe we go later rounds, day three receiver, that type of thing, right? Like, or, you know, even if you do keep Keenan, you might still, you know, look at pick five and, you know, be like, hey, you know, look at what happened with Jamar Chase and the, the Bengals, right? Like, so um yeah, I think I would say definitely an offensive lineman there <clears throat> at some point in the first two rounds. And then, you know, I listed the roster needs. So nothing would surprise me after that outside of Chargers fans will be up in arms if they go running back in the first two rounds. Say that much. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I agree. Like positional value wise, I think like there's an argument to be made that you shouldn't draft a running back that high. But like, man, this team needs like they a need it. Yeah, they do. Like they've they've needed a stud running back, you know, because Austin's a great player, obviously, but <clears throat> um, he's not like his, his the strength of his game is not running between the tackles, um, and so like you know I think he's he put up a ton of production, but when you look at like why didn't the running game you know turn into a strength of this team? Like there's a lot of different factors that went into it. Some of it was coaching, some of it was scheme, some of it was personnel up front. Some of it too is what they have at running back, and like as much as the positional value thing gets discussed, like a stud running back does change how you run the football. Like that's just the reality of it. So again, like, you know, nothing would shock me. I, like, not, like at this point with the way that the roster is constructed and what they have, no pick would surprise me outside well, of being a quarterback, you know? Well, Jake, uh, maybe they'll have the monopoly money to go get Saquon Barkley after all. <laughs> we'll see. This is not a big year for spending. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I exactly. What is you're going to need? Yeah, I don't think you're going to need monopoly money to go get Saquon. I mean, just the like the free agent running back market is wild. Tanks. Like, I think you can sit on that and probably get a very talented back for like a very reasonable contract. I mean, that's how everything's been been shaking out over the last like two years. I agree, sure. Daniel. I want to flip it over to the defense. Um, you know, all expectations, as as Jim Harbaugh had said, they're still going through a process in bringing Jesse Minter on board, but that is the expectation that he is going to come on and be part of this defensive staff. I wanted just to get your opinion on this, because obviously with roster turnover that we're expecting with this team, not a lot of money to spend in free agency. Obviously, you had mentioned Jim Harbaugh and Joe Hortiz having to hit big time on the draft to really you know, be able to compete to 10 in 2024. And I think everybody would agree that the defense for this Chargers team has been probably the most underwhelming unit over the past three years. So in Jesse Minter's defense, 
a lot of people have said, okay, this is going to get Derwin James back to the play style that he has always dominated, you know, that we've seen him in, do in previous years. But I guess if you were to pick one other position or out, maybe, maybe I think we know from the trenches standpoint, that's what Jim loves to build up. But whether it's a player that you think that would benefit out of this new defense the most or a position group, essentially, what is your kind of like 50,000 foot view of what Jesse Mentor is going to bring to this defense? Yeah, I mean, I think Derwin's like where you got to start, right? Because, you know, Brandon Staley came in and had like this huge grandiose plan for how he was going to use Derwin James. And like when he was talking about it, like it was very exciting, right? You're like, okay, Derwin's going to be the signal caller in the huddle. He's going to be the leader of the defense. He's going to be playing safety. He's going to be playing money. He's going to be playing star. They're going to be blitzing him off the edge. He's going to be this queen on the chessboard that they're going to use all over the place. And like in theory, it made a ton of sense. And like, there were a lot of good things that came as a result of moving Derwin around that much, but it never materialized into him playing his best football. Um, and I think by the end of it, um, you know, he, all that they were asking him to do just put so much stress on him mentally from a preparation standpoint, you know, even from like a play to play, like just to get into the, into the specific, I know you said 50,000 foot, but let's just to dive into the specifics of Derwin, right? Like, let's take two plays, for example. One play, he's, you know, playing deep field safety. And the next play, he's playing slot corner, right? Those two positions are wildly different, right? One, you know, one, one position, everything's in front of you and you're attacking forward. The other position, you're basically, you know, a hybrid linebacker. You're at the line of scrimmage. The angles you're taking are different. The routes you're covering are different. The way your body's moving is different. And so like, yeah, you you have to understand everything mentally, but you also have to get your body to be able to do those two different things on two different plays right next to each other. So all of that factored in. And then you had the, the you know, penalties early in the season, which obviously for an aggressive player like Derwin James, like that's going to be a factor when you're already overthinking and you add that to the mix. So like for me, that is priority number one. Like well, and, the, well, and the teammates, I don't want to interrupt, but and the teammates that he's playing alongside of in those two specific plays, like you're reeling with your safeties and corners versus like your linemen and linebackers. Right, right. Completely different. All of that. It's a, it's a great point. And so like that to me is like when you're talking about like, okay, who are the players that you're talking about? Like that's priority number one, right? I think play style wise, Derwin James fits into exactly what Jim Harbaugh wants to be, you know, aggressive, physical, you know, energy right? All of that kind of stuff. Like I think Derwin James embodies that, but how do you get the most out of him? And, you know, I think you can look at him as a player and look at his skill set and be like, Oh my God, look at all the different things that he can do. Right. But it's similar to Justin Herbert, right? How do you maximize him? Is it making him do all these different things and taking on all of these different responsibilities? Or is it maybe shrinking that a little bit to try and see, okay, these are the three things that he does really, really well. Let's sprinkle in some, obviously some, some variation, but like, let's get him playing his best football. The other thing defensively is like the, the corner plan never really worked out. You know, that, that was a huge part of why the defense never really came together under the previous regime. Um, you know, I think you, you had like really good stretches for Michael Davis, right? Like I think the, the back half of 2022, probably the best football he's played in his career. Then he comes back and he doesn't have a starting spot. They're trying to get J.C. Jackson to a starting spot. They're like, oh, maybe we'll get all three of them on the field at the same time and play Mike and J.C. on the outside, and we'll put Zant in the slot. Zant doesn't really want to play in the slot. He views himself as an outside corner. Eventually, they go with Jasir Taylor. That doesn't work out. 
They're rotating. Michael Davis over here. Michael Davis is playing 40% of the snaps. And then he, all of a sudden he's in there on a crucial um, play in the Titans game. He gets beat over the top. Um, He can't get into a rhythm at a position that's predicated on getting into a rhythm. Um, And so like, you know, and then obviously like, you know, we don't have to dive into the JC situation fully, but like that never really materialized. So like, I would say number one, get the most out of Derwin James. And then number two, like figure out a plan at corner, like figure out what it's going to be, figure out a group that you can really rely on. Like the one thing that I, I talked about a lot with players during the Staley era was like, there's just all these moving parts. And like when they were playing good football is when they set a lineup, they had the same guys going out there and they all were really comfortable with what they were playing. And they were able to shrink things down and not be playing, you know, 900 different coverages with, you know, 900 different, you know, checks and calls and disguises and all this different stuff. Right. So um, those would be the two things. Like when we do get a chance, if Jesse Minter, you know, ends up being the defensive coordinator and we talk to him, like those are the two things that I would really focus on. You know, it's all back end related, but that's where the NFL is. How are you going to get the most out of Derwin James? And then what's the plan, you know, at corner, those would be my two big things. We'll wrap it up here with Daniel Popper from The Athletic. Uh, last one for you, Popper. I want to talk to you about Justin Herbert because Jim Harbaugh talked about him as the crown jewel, one of the crown jewels of the NFL, him and Derwin James and Sean Slater as well. But how do you see kind of the new staff, whether it's propping up or supporting Justin Herbert? Like we know kind of the trials and tribulations that he's had and the successes he's had in spite of a lot of that. But with kind of this new staff and this new style of football and the new head coach, like what does that do for Justin Herbert and how do you see him kind of being supported or kind of propped up in this kind of new era of style of offense? Yeah. I mean, the one thing that's been missing more than anything else is like a reliable run game, you know? Um, and to have that is, is such a security blanket for, for a quarterback, you know, especially this past year, like it was a disaster. Like they, they just could not run the football and like, you know, I don't, I don't want to bring it up, but like go back to Jacksonville, right? Like that, if there's one thing that I could like point to as like a, a clear indication of, of Herbert's career, like, yeah, he missed that touchdown throw to Keenan Allen. And like, maybe if he makes that throw, things go differently. But like, we're talking about like a big reason why that all unraveled there in Jacksonville. Like they couldn't run the ball in the second half, you know, and then they hired Kellen Moore to replace Joe Lombardi to, you know, create a running game. That was the big thing. Kellen Moore is going to come in and he's going to be able to scheme this thing up and they're going to have a running game. And it was worse than it was at any point under Joe Lombardi. And so, like, yeah, is he special? Absolutely. You know, in, in pure passing situations, he can get it done. Um, but in order to, like, really get the most out of him, he needs some semblance of a running game. And he's never really had that in his NFL career with the Chargers. So what does it look like when they can really run the football? When that can be a strength of the team, and you also have this alien quarterback back there, like, what does it look like? And, and how much can can he sort of get to that next level when he has this other facet of the offense that he can, that he can really rely on like that to me is what's going to be most interesting about, you know, this new style of football that they're going to be playing under Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. I mean, Justin Herbert covers up a lot of bad. And you mentioned this past season, the running game, like how many third and ones, third and twos, fourth and ones that they could not convert. Even first down, first down efficiency, right? Like how many, how many second and 10, second and 11, second and nine, like, it's different when you're second and six, second and five, and you're able to run the football. Like it create, it, it, it opens up everything. And then when you, when teams have to respect your running game, you know, they have to, they have to deploy more resources to the line of scrimmage that creates more one-on-one opportunities that creates fewer shell, like less shell coverage, like all of it's related. And so like, I'm a big proponent of throwing the ball. It's obviously the most efficient way to play offense, 
but you can't just not have a running game. You just like it's it's not going to work. It doesn't matter how talented your quarterback is. It's it's amazing the optics and how perspectives of quarterbacks can be. And like you see a quarterback who doesn't have to throw it that much, but the running game's so good and he looks so great because the offense is efficient. But then a quarterback like Justin Herbert who has to throw it eighty percent of the time, he'll get dinged because he has to make these throws because he doesn't have running game. And how different those look. But it's like it's not the quarterback's fault that he can't convert anything other than via the air. So yeah, it, yeah, and also like, okay, how does your offensive line look, right? Like if, if the opposing team knows you're throwing it all the time, and you're in second and nine on every single series, how many more pass rushing opportunities do they have? How many more, um, you know, reps on an island is your, or, or, you know, is your left tackle and and your right tackle going through? Like a running game will help the quarterback. A running game will also help your offensive line and pass protection. Like it helps everything and like there's you know as much as people want to throw their arms up and lose their minds about greg roman like the one thing he's going to be able to do is like scheme up a legitimate running game and like we have not seen justin herbert play quarterback with a reliable running game at any point in his career it's amazing the things that justin or justin that chargers fans can complain about when in reality like it would be nice to have a running game and if that means greg roman is the guy that's doing it so be it he's not going to butcher justin herbert and you also have Jim Harbaugh at the helm is going to make sure that stuff gets done the way it's supposed to get done. Uh, Daniel Popper, man, the, the myth, the legend. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, tell the Chargers fans what you're doing, what you're up to, what they can find out about you next. Yeah. So i got a fun story coming, hopefully um, not next week, but the week after. I'm not going to reveal too much, but um, it may be focused on the 1999-2000 seasons. Maybe. Ooh. Maybe that's all. I'll, that's all I'll say. Nothing more. Okay. Love it. I love it. Daniel oh Popper. You can find him on X. Uh, Ali Athletic obviously uh, does incredible work. Highly recommend Chargers fans going in. Obviously subscribing to the Athletic and following Daniel Popper and the work he does. Uh, Popper, you're the man. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. How's it going? All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Thanks, Daniel.